Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. What does a godly pastor look like? And how can pastors remain godly in the midst of their ministry? Listen in as the gang talks about godliness in the pastorate. At the end of the podcast, we'll tell you how to download a free MP3 from the Alliance. Well, thanks for joining us today on Mortification of Spin Bully Pulpit. I've got to tell you at the very outset that one of us, one of the three, are not here today. Um, but rest assured, it's the one that everybody likes least who's not with us. Carl Truman happens to be in New Zealand, literally the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. He's in New Zealand because his celebrity continues uh, to shine and to grow and to become more blinding by the day. Um, I, I think he's probably in New Zealand down there retracing the steps of Frodo to Mordor, something like that. <laughs> um, Amy, do we know anything else about what he's doing down there? Over there? Um, no, I mean, signing Bibles. Signing Bibles. I think we can be sure mm -hmm. he's doing that. He's Taking selfies. Of, <laughs> absolutely. He's got a bunch of uh, eight by 10 glossies of himself uh, he's handing out um, over there. And his, his wife is with him on this trip. Yes, which is uh, a good thing because she knows kickboxing. She knows so. kickboxing. She's kind of like uh, a bodyguard for him. Absolutely. He, she's the lethal weapon. Mm -hmm. um, in Carl's arsenal. So, so while Carl dispenses uh, uh, words that oftentimes um, offend uh, people for various reasons, <laughs> Katrina is there ready to, uh, uh, to yes. kick. And, and she uh, makes so, all the photographs look better, too. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, Carl, we, we wish you the best. Um, uh, and, and for the rest of you, you, you will not be annoyed uh, by that tea-drinking, um, <laughs> haggis-eating. Instant um, coffee-consuming. Instant coffee-consuming, oh. exactly, Englishman on this uh, podcast. Mm -hmm. So, really, I think the topic we're going to talk about is uh, the deficiencies in English rock and roll. Um, uh, 1960s and 70s uh, English rock and roll um, and, and the contribution that England made to world culture when it gave us Boy George so um, we, we, well, it was either between that or, or the topic that I think we've eventually uh, chosen and uh, we were talking about this a little bit because in the last number of months there have been um, some you've heard of, some you haven't heard of but some rather high profile pastors, at least high profile in their own states and in their denominations, who have, um, for lack of a better phrase, taken a nosedive morally and have crashed. Um, and this is a sobering thing. It is something that we need to be very careful that we never gloat over, um, even though in some cases uh, it looks like there were signs that some of us warned about, signs that were grievous. Nevertheless, this is something that harms the church and harms the reputation of Christ. And it's just once again a reminder of how important um, godliness is in the life of uh, pastors. And it seems odd having to say that, Amy, because um, it, it seems like not long ago uh, where you, you would hear a lot about godliness and a lot about holiness. Now, granted, uh, some of that kind of mishmashed and turned into some legalistic stuff that is always a danger and we always want to be on guard to protect against. That said... 
um, it seems very odd that even within Reformed-ish, at least, circles, piety and godliness and holiness seem to have fallen on hard times, seem to be kind of all dismissed as one form or another of legalism. Have you seen that to be true? Yeah, it's it's almost um, the buzzkill when you mention yeah, yeah. godliness or obedience of the faith. And um, there's so much wonderful talk about grace, and much has been written that is truly needed about grace. But, I mean, above all, grace equips us for holiness, doesn't it? Isn't that our end goal? It, right. it doesn't encourage us to sin. And so I think that we do truly need, you know, some of even like the Puritans, like Jeremiah Burroughs' um, warnings of, or the truth that sin is evil. Right. It's truly evil. And um, if we are to esteem God's promises to us, then we need to see that and we need to flee from sin and love holiness. Yeah. You know, it was was interesting. And I mentioned before we we came on air that... um, I, I have a friend and their and their staff several years ago read a book entitled Three Free Sins, which again, written by a man in in kind of our circles, reformed-ish circles. The title of the book is Worrisome, Three Free Sins. And yeah. kind of the, the point is that, hey, listen, you know, go ahead, go ahead and sin so that you can prove to yourself that God's not going to be mad at you. Of course, this is a a terribly unbiblical uh, prescription and precisely what Paul warns about, at least in Romans chapter six. But but he, but his his explanation was: we all felt like we needed to read it, knowing that it was problematic. But we felt like we needed to read it to correct some of the legalism that we grew up with, as if you correct one error right. by going to another error. And and you mentioned the Puritans. The Puritans are a perfect example mm-hmm. of the heritage we have in the Reformed faith of solid, grace filled but grace calling us to obedience mm-hmm. also, uh, spirituality, for lack of a better word. Right. I mean, that, that's love, is to show exactly. the evil of sin to mm-hmm. your congregation. I mean, is sin evil or is it no big deal? Because that right. title makes it sound like it's a no big deal. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the things we, we see and are reminded of is, is how vitally necessary these ideas of piety and godliness and holiness are in the lives of those that are entrusted with the responsibility of being overseers in the church. And we've talked a lot about right. that in, mm-hmm. in, in Mortification of Spin and um, the qualifications for overseers that you find in First Timothy and in Titus chapter 1, those, those, those qualifications. And one of the things we learn is that there's this, there's this congruence between um, a, a man's private life and his public uh, ministry. Paul tells uh, Timothy in Timothy chapter 4, keep, keep close watch, keep careful watch on yourself and on your teaching. Some translations say on your life and on your doctrine. Keep close mm-hmm. watch on those things. He says, and he, and he goes on, he says, persist in this. Keep keeping this careful watch. And yeah. it seems like what we've heard from some prominent Reformed-ish teachers over the last few years has been that there's some sort of an inherent uh, violation of, of justification by faith if, if, if you bring any language of, of, of persistence or... Or, or even fighting for godliness, mm-hmm. efforts, great, grace-driven, but nevertheless efforts towards godliness, all language that Paul was very comfortable with, oh, effort-related yeah. language. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and it seems to be that, that some people in our camp have failed to recognize that when we talk about salvation, 
salvation is more than just the act of penal substitution and and uh, a, a, a declarative act of justification on on God's part, but He also is determined to sanctify us as well. Right. Yeah. And I mean, if a pastor isn't doing this, if the elders aren't promoting holiness, how are we then to want to strive to right. live faith and obedience? Right. You know, uh, grace should motivate us to having a fruit, fruitful mm. life and holiness, right. to yield fruit. It doesn't motivate us to live disobediently to the faith. Right. I think, you know, think of that call in Hebrews um, where, you know, here we see that in Hebrews 12, yes. no, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But then right after that, we hear, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And those words, see to it, the Greek for that is overseer or as mm-hmm. an elder. So as mm-hmm. congregants, we're to, to promote one another's holiness yeah. too, just yeah. like an elder. Well, if an right. elder isn't showing how to do that, how are we going to know? Right. That's, that's a great point. Um, and of course, if, if, you, if you happen to be unaware of it, and this just came to mind, Amy, as you were dealing with Hebrews, as you've just written a, a book dealing with some of these themes on, on spiritual fitness and drawing from Hebrews as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really valuable for us as pastors to hear from laypersons on this issue because of the tremendous responsibility it is, the tremendous privilege it is to stand before God's people who voluntarily submit themselves to the leadership of the overseers. They voluntarily do this and sit under our preaching, receive Mm -hmm. the sacraments from us. And Amy, you know, what does it, what does it mean? You, your, your husband, your children gathered week after week on the Lord's day Mm -hmm. to receive the preached word from this man, to receive the sacraments ministered. What does it mean to at least have, a certain measure of confidence that the man who's preaching to us, the man who's 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 distributing and and, and leading in the um, sacraments does, we have reasonable confidence that that he's also a man who, in his private life, pursues godliness. What is mm-hmm. what's the significance of that for you and your family? Right, like our pastor right now is going; he's preaching through Matthew, and mm-hmm. right now we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've gone through the Lord's Prayer, and you know the big theme is you know, how are we to live as kingdom citizens? Mm-hmm. And um, going through the Lord's Prayer, he really focused on how Christ reorients our lives. Yeah. And so if he's going to hold up these promises to us, how are we then to know that they're true if, if they're not true for him? In right. his life, you know, if Christ right. hasn't reoriented his life, right. or if he's not living as a godly kingdom citizen, then we're in, in despair in some ways. Because if yeah. our pastor, who's devoted his life to preaching the word of God, can't do it, then um, we're in some trouble. Right, right. You know, it's interesting, um, Amy, our friend John Payne, um, mm-hmm. uh, he's a friend of, of yours and mine, Carl. Mm-hmm. Church planter there in uh, in in Charleston, South Carolina, at, at GA, he was speaking to a group of us, and and one of the things he he said, and and I thought it was so important, was that some of the the preaching that's coming out of our own circles about the ubiquitous nature of sin, and we all acknowledge, you know, sin is is everywhere. We still struggle with indwelling sin. We all acknowledge that. But one of the things that John said that was so helpful is that some of the preaching we're hearing coming out of some of our Presbyterian circles about our continued brokenness, 
seems to be so bleak that, that the notion that a pastor can and should actually be an example of godliness is completely diminished. And, and I think he's right. I, I've heard that a lot, mm-hmm. that, that the emphasis on our brokenness is so emphasized mm-hmm. that what's never heard is Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Right. Which is something that every overseer ought to be able to say right. to the people in their church. You know, it's sad just talking to some elders um, and hearing how difficult it is to find men who meet mm. the qualifications mm. of elders to then um, call to that office right. and train. And I thought after that conversation, just how sad is that? That, yeah. that there aren't many men to find yeah. To, to fill that position. And then like when you, when you read in 1 Timothy 3 about the qualifications for overseers, I love um, verse 15. After he goes through that, he says, or in 14 and 15, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And I mean, I just don't know if we really think about church the way we should as, as the household of God. And if we do, then maybe um, this wouldn't be such a big debate. Yeah. Yeah. Pastors ought to be, and and overseers, elders altogether ought to be um, filled with a certain measure of, of godly fear at the Mm -hmm. responsibility they have as a part of, of, of the complex of means that drives us towards um, godliness. If if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you have fewer options than those who aren't. As far as some of the choices you make, and and, and we're all called to godliness, but the stakes are so high for overseers right. because of the the damage it does. And you know, Amy, as as an active layperson in your church, your entire family. Again, I, I for me, it's hard to imagine what it would do in the hearts and the minds of the people that that I preach to every week that I help lead the sacraments for, if they suddenly became convinced because of some choices I was making, some things that I was doing, if, if their confidence that I was a man growing godly, if that was eroded, you mm-hmm. know, what, what does that do in the heart and the mind of the right. I mean, if gather there with their families? If the church is a pillar of the truth, okay, so this is where we go mm-hmm. to hear truth. And you are the the deliverer of that truth right. to us. Well, you know, it's doctrine and life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's the, doctrine the, and life. Yeah, there's not that, Paul, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul does not allow a clean separation. Like oftentimes, unfortunately, Roman Catholicism does. Mm-hmm. And while we as Reformed people have a high view of the sacraments, nevertheless, we still maintain that there's a connection between the mm-hmm. godliness of the man and the effectiveness of his, of, of, of his ministry. In Roman Catholicism's Catholicism, they so separate those things mm-hmm. that it's unfaithful ultimately to what, to what Scripture um, calls us to. Um, and and I, I was thinking, what, from, from your perspective also, um, why, why do we, um, obviously because we believe the Scripture maintains this position, but, but why do we think Scripture probably maintains that, that, that sexual immorality, when, when a pastor falls to sexual immorality, mm-hmm. Why do we see that as such an earth-shattering moment for his ministry as far as it being disqualifying? Why, 
Why do, mm-hmm. we, why do we see that as so uniquely disqualifying? Well, we see just how violent something like that is spiritually. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it really does profane holiness. And it yeah. takes me back to that scripture in Hebrews 12 again, because in that see to it, one of the things that it, it says is that many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. And so we have this example of Esau, who was so sensuous that, you know, he couldn't repent truly, and that he did completely profane the holy for the common. And it then points to the faithfulness of Christ. I mean, our marriages model that, Christ's love for the church. So, it, it, it truly is devastating. And I think not just for a pastor or an elder to commit that sort of sin, but not to um, be promoting holiness in the congregation through proper church discipline as well. Mm-hmm. I know I really saw that as a teenager, the church I was going to. There were, were several broken marriages due to affairs mm-hmm. that nothing was said, nothing was done. There was no help offered. There was no discipline offered. Um, there was just kind of drifting away from the church. And I just thought, how sad, you know, how sad is that? What God has joined together has not even been held together as important. We had had a congregational meeting just this past Sunday in our church. And one of the things that I I was so grateful for is one of our our ruling elders um, got up and as a part of the meeting gave just a brief description, this wonderful biblical explanation. Once again, again, this is not one of our seminary trained teaching elders. This is one of our ruling elders, a faithful, godly layman in our church mm-hmm. who, who is a, who's a ruling elder, who got up and, and did this beautiful explanation to our church once again about why we practice discipline. And I'm mm-hmm. grateful to be in a church that has faithfully done that over the years. And, and then he was able to explain how someone that the church had excommunicated maybe five, six years ago Mm-hmm. has repented, fully repented, and come back. And this is the second time we've seen this in two years. That's and my kids beautiful. are sitting there. Oh, it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And here's this ruling elder up there with tears in his eyes explaining this. And, I, and my wife and I sitting there going, so glad that yeah. our kids are able to hear that and see that. Right, To right. see a church that takes holiness seriously, to see right. repentance as a result of that. I have to say that as a teenager, being through what I went through and without that being addressed, it did send a different message mm, to me about holiness isn't that serious. There's no doubt about it. And so, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the issue of church discipline because that, again, is is another way that the church publicly promotes holiness. Mm -hmm. And, and, And the church, through the godliness of its pastor, publicly promotes holiness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this and, and thinking about, you know, what do pastors need to do um, to, uh, to help guard themselves against some of these sins and some of these traps? I mean, you know, I, I, think, I think about God's words to Cain about, you know, sin is crouching at the door mm-hmm. and how pastors yeah. have to be mindful of this. But, you know, I, 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 there, there's real basic stuff that I heard all the time when I was young and just going into ministry that I think I, I haven't heard much in recent years and that we need to hear again things like, okay. you know, pastors daily be in the word and in prayer. Yeah. And I know that sounds really passe and, oh, are you telling me I have to have a quiet time? Well, kind of, yeah. 
I mean, why would a pastor not think he needs to be in the Word and in prayer and in fellowship with God mm-hmm. every day? I fully expect that from my pastor. <laughs> oh, thank you for saying that. I pastors mean, need to hear that. Right. Pastors I mean, I to totally that. just assume that my pastor right. is in the Word every day. Yeah, yeah. It's huge. Um, you know, I think about things like don't develop a, a counseling, a, a long-term counseling relationship with a woman. It's foolish for a pastor to do that. For one thing, most of us aren't very good counselors. We can give advice and hopefully we give the word to people, but, but a certain measure of intimacy can, can develop in that sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. And no man should think that he's so strong that that, won't de- that, that can't develop into something dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we started this year, which I think is really important at our church, is, is all of us who are on staff now fill out logs of our time every week. Okay. We, we have a time log. And, and I do one. I do one electronically. There's an app for my phone where wow. I account each day There's for my activities. For and, and it's been great. You know, the, 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 and the, this was something that the ruling elders did in consultation with the teaching elders. This wasn't some heavy-handed thing laid upon right. us. But, but because it was coming as a suggestion from men that we knew cared about us, mm-hmm. it, it's really been good for me because now every day I'm able to review what's been going on. And I submit that electronic copy to mm-hmm. a man who's on our personnel committee, a man I know that cares about me, but he knows what I'm up to. Other people on our staff know where I am and what I'm doing. And it's recorded. Mm-hmm. I put it on my computer. I put it on my phone. Pastors need to be accountable for their time because oftentimes, you know, there's a lot of freedom. We, we mm-hmm. have a lot of appointments. We go and we study and that's all good and necessary. But we need to be accountable for our time. There shouldn't How be would you, periods in the day where no one knows where we are or what we're doing. What would you say, like, as to the importance of planning ahead? Because, like, when you say it's, it's dangerous to get in a one-on-one counseling yeah. relationship with a woman, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, how can you plan ahead, like, when there truly is a right. woman in your congregation who needs help right. and comes to you as her pastor? Mm-hmm. What would yeah. you do then? Yeah, I, I think you. I, I, I think it's definitely. It's certainly appropriate for a pastor to have an appointment with a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, make sure that all of the necessary accountability is there. Don't ever uh, meet with a woman alone. Don't be in a building or, or alone. I think you can meet in your study, but like if a woman comes to see me for an appointment, my door is open, mm-hmm. and anybody right there in our office area is able to. If anything inappropriate was happening. You know, the door is open, but, but it's in my study. We can have a conversation that's not broadcast everywhere, but it's going to be really difficult, if not impossible, for us to do something inappropriate uh, mm-hmm. because of those arrangements. So, so it's certainly appropriate for a pastor to have an appointment with a woman. What I wouldn't do is set up a regular long-term series of counseling events Right. So, for instance, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with a woman in our church this week who has questions about how to witness to some Jehovah's Witnesses um, mm-hmm. who are in her life. Man, a pastor should be able Absolutely. to do that and yeah. needs to be able to do that. You know, if, if, so, so please don't see that as some sort of a, a legalistic stricture from a pastor ever have a conversation with a woman in his church. That's ridiculous. Right. And, no one be afraid I, of the women. Exactly. But if you think ahead too. I mean, it would be good if, if there was a woman who was having relational problems, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, maybe it would be good to have another uh, woman yes. in your church that she yes. could go to along with you or just somebody mm-hmm. who is really good at that, 
that type of counseling that you could hook her up with. Exactly. Exactly. Something ahead of time would be nice too, right? Completely nice. I mean, that would be very, and, and, and again, I mean, I'm at our church, the church where I pastor, we kind of have an embarrassment of riches on this because um, we have a very close relationship with a Christian counseling center in our town that was founded by a member of our church who happens to be a teaching elder in the PCA. Mm. And all of the counselors nice. who work for him in that counseling center are all members of the church I pastor. Well, gee whiz, Todd. Yeah, exactly. If we all have it that I know. Easy. So, so there's no <laughs> doubt I'm spoiled on that. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no question I'm spoiled on that. Um, so, you know, my, my answer to your question is, oh, well, I just send them to the counseling <laughs> center that's run by my, you know, by people uh-huh. in my church, you know. But, but, but your counsel to a, a pastor needs to plan ahead on that so that he's not caught off guard. So that he has somebody to say, hey, listen, let's call so-and-so, and she's going to be really helpful for you in this area. Pastor needs to have those. I mean, that's just part of planning and being a responsible aid to your, uh, to your congregation. You know, Amy, you said something earlier before we actually kind of started recording about, again, just the danger of the celebrity culture. Mm-hmm. And, and it was funny because earlier today, one of the things I jotted down was the importance of a pastor avoiding... Uh, developing a fan base mm. that 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 having fans is dangerous for a pastor because th- there's a big difference between having encouragers and people who love you and support you which right. is great to have and having fans people who love you well people who encourage you right. and support you are still willing to ask you the tough questions right a fan won't do that that's love and care for you whereas right. you know a fan it's more feeding their own uh, idea so exactly. exactly. they're going to overlook some sin probably right. easier. Exactly. So, so pastors, um, wow, you know, be on your guard. Um, what we do um, can ultimately be something that really blesses the church of Christ or really does great harm to the church of Christ and her witness. And, and keep in mind the fact that you have precious souls who gather voluntarily submitting themselves to your leadership who need their pastor, who deserve, by virtue of the fact that they have been a part of putting you in this position by God's grace, they deserve godliness on your part. They, they, they should have a pastor who can say to them, follow me as I follow Christ. That's not arrogant. Um, that's not legalistic. That's just appropriate godliness in the life of an overseer. And uh, we hope you'll be challenged by that, uh, that by God's grace, you'll continue to uh, to, to walk in grace and to walk in obedience. And um, along the way, read some good stuff. Make, make holiness a part of your vacation. Uh, vocation, that is. <laughs> and your vacation. I, think, I keep thinking of Truman in New Zealand. But Amy, <laughs> one of, I know we're wrapping up, but one of the things I thought of that you mentioned Puritans earlier, you know, pastors ought to make it just a part of their vocation and a part of their diet to read really good stuff on this thing. You know, hard books like Holiness by J.C. Ryle and, and some of the Puritans. Is there anything that just immediately pops into oh, your The Evil thing. of Evils by Jeremiah Burroughs. I just go back to that all the time. I love that book. You know, there, there you go, Pastor. I mean, there's two things. If you haven't read them, read them. If you've read them, read them again. Get Holiness mm-hmm. by Rob. Get The Evil of Evils uh, by Burroughs and, and make that a, a part of your diet. And, and, and remember these words from Amy Bird, which I'm so glad you said this. I just assume my pastor's <laughs> in the word every day. We ought to be yes. like that. So... 
Well, listen, blessings, and uh, we hope to, uh, uh, to talk to you again next time on Mortification Experience. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Make sure to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to download Godliness, a Great Game by James Boyce. Next episode, the gang chats with an ordinary pastor about ordinary ministry. They ask him things like, Max, where are you from? <laughs> where, do, where do you, you're, you're a pastor. Um, I am, yeah. I am. I'm originally from Maryland, and uh, actually talking with Amy about that earlier. Uh, but uh, yeah, I went to Westminster Seminary, and I had Carl as a professor. When you were um, called for this position and being interviewed for this call, did they ask you if you've ever been arrested before? Yeah, Maybe for terrorism right, right. or something yeah, on, like on, that? Yeah, yeah, just being a suspect you know, in a, in a <laughs> terrorist plot. plot. I wonder if that ever happened. Hear more next time on Mortification of Spin. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to download your free audio message. Yeah, Carl needs to be married to a kickboxer. He does. You know, for for a guy, you know, Carl needs to be married to a kickboxer. For a guy who's who has offended as many people as he has, uh, he needs a wife who can, you know, lay down on some guy. Just really boom. the one for him. Absolutely, absolutely.